0: does have it all all of our pre-owned vehicles are hubler q certified which include a 128 point vehicle inspection a free carfax vehicle history report and two warranties a two-year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com you're listening to the best of kevin inquiry on 93.5 and 1075 the fan Band emotions Paris Campbell. They give off to Jonathan Taylor. Jump cutting his way. Close to the goal line. He's in there. Touchdown. Ah. Jonathan Taylor second down and 10 for the Eagles at the Colts 22 shotgun snap for Hertz backs to throw looking looking delivers over the middle towards the end zone it's caught for a touchdown It's Quez Watkins a 22-yard strike straight give to Jonathan Taylor jump cuts his way and slashes inside Eagle territory still going second effort inside the 45 and he's finally gonna be chopped down to 43 but did he lose the football the ball came out. Philadelphia has the ball. Shotgun snap for Hurts. He's going to oh, take no. off. He's at the five, and he dances oh, into the end zone. No. He threw you know it. Oh, they're going to do that. He ran it right up the gut and scampers into the end zone untouched. And there's the knee by Jalen Hurts, and that's going to do it. The Colts are going to fall short today. Tough one, right? We we had everything in front of us. but
1: didn't execute enough to, to get the win. We made too many mistakes along the way. Yeah, this one hurts, you know what I mean, because uh, losing at home sucks. You know, I felt like we had that game won. It was just a lot of self-inflicted wounds, which I mean that's what it's been over the course of the season. Um, but it like this one hurts because we know like that team didn't beat us, we beat ourselves.
2: I hurt myself today to see if I still feel
3: Rick, that's a real pick-me-up on a Monday morning. Well, hey, they hurt themselves. You know what, Kevin? I thought about this, and I know this is unoriginal an thought, and people are like, okay, time to come up with a new school of thought, but it's applicable, so I'm going to repeat it. Yesterday, for the Colts, is exactly what people want the Pacers to be, or what we thought the Pacers were going to be, Right. <laughs> Yeah. Like be interesting. Right. <clears throat> get excited. Show signs of life. Entertaining competitive loss, right? Improve your draft stock. Unfortunately for the Colts, they're kind of too they're they're they really kind of stuck in a quicksand because they dug themselves too big a hole now. Like they're you're kind of back to what is to be gained by writing this out the rest of the year with Matt Ryan if you're not gonna go to the playoffs. You're just moving yourself back in the draft. But at the same time, you owe it to Jeff Saturday and to the fans and everybody else to be as competitive. And they're not far off. You know, clearly. I mean, they're they're the problem, somebody said this to you and I both on Twitter, and it's perfectly said. That is a defense capable of going to the Super Bowl and an offense capable of going to the top five in a draft.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yesterday was kind of a microcosm of the season in that the defense <laughs> does the heavy lifting and the offense can't carry its weight. Um, you know, to the Pacers' point, Jake, I'd say two things. One... No one thought the Colts would be tanking entering the season. So I think that's what kind of adds to the frustration. And then two, the NFL, in the fact that it is a 17-game season, you're playing in a division where it's not some vaunted four-team gauntlet. You're never totally, totally out of it. And if you look at yesterday, for those that are still in the, hey, Jeff Saturday can turn some things around and look at the wild card picture, this and that. Yesterday had the makings of, you know, potentially a season-altering win. And for so much of that 60 minutes, it looked like, oh my gosh, the Colts are going to finish this off, they're going to be the talk of the NFL all through Thanksgiving, they're going to be on Monday Night Football next week, probably as, what, a five-point favorite at home against the Steelers, and yet, the inability for, it's offense to carry its weight, finishing in general, we can get into... a a massive massive issue um for this football team but uh boy to be on the cusp of such a potentially season changing win and then to let it slip away like that uh just brutal brutal
3: it's it's early to point this stuff out but i'm going to because it is somewhat applicable to where they are right now and what direction they go um and I'll get to that in a second. Good morning to you on a Monday. Chilly one, admittedly, but hope you had a great weekend. My name is Jake Query. You just heard the voice of Kevin Bowen. Mark Dyckton, who used to eat cereal around this time every morning and for some reason has been on strike from that for a couple of months. Cereal now. bars now.
4: What are you, lactose intolerant? No, clearly not with all the cereal I've digested in my time. It's a little bit of a cleaner breakfast. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. It's still Count Chocula. Uh, well, that's the breakfast of champions, That's right. Of course. You're damn right. In it. <laughs> no better way to start Thanksgiving week than Count Chocula, right? Mark. I'm still hanging on to my Halloween spirit. There it's a good base go. for the stuffing you're going to have on the Ready Thursday. for some
3: Frankenberry? And, uh, oh, I wish do... they made Frankenberry. <laughs> um, but anyway, it is a Monday morning. Good morning to you. Rick DeMoling, former Colts lineman, will join us at 9 a.m. on the program. We'll talk plenty about this Colts game from yesterday. But Kevin, maybe. you play it left
4: is... tackle or right guard?
3: No kidding, right? He's lost some weight. Uh, maybe it's too early to look at this, and maybe it sounds absurd, except for hear me out, okay? I got to thinking about this last night, and I thought, the Colts, the division is clearly out of grasp at this point. I know mathematically it's not, but it's out of grasp, right? But the wild card is interesting. And the reason why is because when you really think about it, the first tiebreaker in the wild card— Head to head. Okay. The second tiebreaker in the wild card is conference record. Well, what's fascinating is it's entirely possible the Colts are going to get swept by the NFC East, but they may sweep the AFC West, right? So their conference record may actually be a strong suit for them within tiebreaker layouts
4: the only problem is they need someone to tie for the tiebreaker well to matter it understood but
3: look at where they still have the chargers on the schedule they're only the the, the tie makes things weird here they're what a half game behind the chargers right now right the chargers are out of the playoff picture right the chargers are one game ahead of the colts in the wild card chase Right, but outside of the playoffs. Correct. Correct. That is correct, yes. So, what you have is you have Kansas City, Miami, Tennessee, and Baltimore. Very odd that the top four in the standings are four divisional leaders, right? But that's how it works. Then you have Buffalo. There's a wild card, New England, wild card. But then after that, there are three teams that are all within two games of the Colts. I know that sounds ridiculous, but what I'm saying is, mathematically speaking, if you're Jim Ursa, you're looking at it, and you're saying, okay, we would have tiebreaker over when you look in front. I mean, obviously not Kansas City, but within the conference record, we may have tiebreaker over, say, New York, Cincinnati. And if we beat the Chargers, we have it automatically over the Chargers because we will go head-to-head. My point being, if that carrot is still within sight, Do the Colts continue to go out and start Matt Ryan and put Best Foot forward and do everything else? Or are we going to see at some point the return to, you know what, we're going to go with Sam Ellinger, write out what we have with the young guy now. We gave Jeff Saturday his opportunity to win games with Matt Ryan. And once we lost one of those now, it's time to go back towards getting out of drafting 15th to 18th.
4: Yeah, I can't see them all of a sudden shifting gears again, at least in the immediate future. I mean, you got two two games until you're by. Steelers a week from tonight, and then the Cowboys Sunday night football. I, I fully expect Matt Ryan to be the starter. Maybe if you lose those two, Jake, all of a sudden you have a change of heart at right. the bye week, and for the final four, you go back to Ellinger. Um, but I, I cannot see Jeff Saturday and or Jim Irsay going down that path so quickly, especially because, and again, the offense has issues right now, without question, um, but you've played eight quarters under Jeff Saturday. You've led for seven of them. I mean, you've you've been a better football team. You're right. Under Jeff Saturday, one thing that you've done in each of these two games, Jake, you've gotten off to great starts. I mean, yesterday was as good as you could have scripted from that touchdown drive, the first touchdown drive Dude. to start a game since Christmas, and then from then on, I thought probably the most disappointing aspect to the football game for the Colts was their rushing offense. Jonathan Taylor dominated on that opening drive, seven carries for 49 yards. The rest of the game, Taylor had 35 yards on now, 15 carries. Is that
3: because the Colts went away from him or because the Eagles gave presentation that they were going to take him away?
4: Oh, the Eagles took him away. I mean, he had 15 carries the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that. I mean, he had, 20, he had 22 for the game. And that's not a
3: great rush defense, though. That's the No, you know.
4: and that's why I think it's so – that, to me, is the most disappointing aspect of the game. Of That's Philly's weakness. You dominated that opening drive. Um, they're on the short week, they were beat up, and those moves they made last week, Linval Joseph and Adama Kinsu, both those free agent signings had some really, really important moments. I almost felt how eerie it was, Jake, sitting there and watching the fourth quarter, fourth quarter unfold and thinking, this is Washington all over again. Yeah. I mean, two-score lead, fourth quarter, no pass rush whatsoever. Your offense can't like put the game away. They can't get that another score. That you, you get the first and goal at the five-yard line. You can't convert that into a touchdown to to ice it. And then you let a mobile quarterback make some plays with his legs. And that's exactly what Jalen Hurts did on several different, different occasions on that final drive. I think that's what kind of adds to it. It's that... You're on the verge of such a massive win. You got the game played at your pace, your score, your defense is putting together one of its best efforts in in years, and yet 60 minutes is 60 minutes, and you kind of hoped to get to the finish line, and Philly took it from you.
3: Midway through the third quarter, did it or did it not feel like the Colts were up 21 nothing?
4: Yeah, it felt like it was much bigger than what? At that point, it was 13-3. I think it
3: was 13-3 at that point. But I mm-hmm. remember at one point thinking, like, they are, like, in control of this game. And then midway through the fourth quarter... I thought when McLaughlin missed that field goal, that 50-yarder... It's, it's funny. Um, guy sitting next to me said, he goes, that's, that's the kind of thing that's a momentum swinger.
4: Gave them a short field. Right. They scored a touchdown off that, and then it was game on the, I thought
3: the game really changed, you could, as obvious as it was in watching that game through the middle of the third that the Colts were in control of it, it was equally obvious from about the seven minute mark on of the fourth quarter that that game was, was mathematically falling right into the Eagles' hands. Because you looked at it, especially when the Colts had to settle for a field goal on that last possession, and you're like, okay, that means if... Philadelphia gets the ball back like they've got time to go down and score and I thought they were just going to run the clock out I thought they were going to run down to I mean granted it was, was it was a third
4: and goal when he scored yeah I third think? and goal from the seven
3: so you, you know you kind of got to punch it
4: in there but man did the seas open up for him oh I gosh. mean gosh that I mean that play Jake, you could have run that in right I, I think Rosie could have run it in Jake he started celebrating the two-yard line yes his lead blocker didn't. His lead blocker could have blocked blue through the end of the end zone.
3: Uh, blue was there, by the way. He was. Blue was right there.
4: When he was. He was. Um, I didn't know what Zaire Franklin was doing on that play. Like he almost had his back turned to Hurts, and I'm thinking to myself, the fourth and two just happened a few plays earlier. It was Hurts. All I mean that is Jalen Hurts, Rodney McLeod, one on one. That was Philly going all in with Nick Sirianni taking that timeout. On Jalen Hurts running the football in that situation, I I get that that might not be like your direct responsibility, but to turn your back to him, I mean that was a parting of the seas, biblical, whatever you want to call it, it was exactly that. You know, Jalen Hurts. I think this is kind of unfair,
3: and actually, Randall Cunningham, who is still a hero in Philadelphia, Randall Cunningham might have been the first quarterback to kind of create this label for quarterbacks unfairly. But if a quarterback can run the football, then they are labeled as, well, he's just a running quarterback. And people automatically think of that as dismissive towards that player's passing ability. You know, Lamar Jackson was just a running quarterback. Remember he was going to have to be a wide receiver at the NFL level. Michael Vick was just a running quarterback. He's going to have to, you know, learn how to be have pocket presence. Fran Tarkenton for that matter Fran the scram you know he was a great player but it was because he, he he was just a runner he could run around like Jalen hurts can throw the football Kevin and they got a ton of weapons it actually I I think that we tend to almost take for granted how solid the Colts defense is to be honest with you I mean they held them in check for the vast majority of that game yeah, and that is a high, points right I'll that's a that mm-hmm. is a prolific a dangerous offense
4: one thing i want to note on Hertz before we get to the colts defense jake yesterday was another reminder of why having a mobile quarterback is just so so dangerous and it's the path in my opinion you have to take um with the next move at qb it seemed like this to me if matt ryan is holding the ball past two seconds the play is going to crumble like, Ryan's going to be under siege. There's no way he can do something after two seconds. If Jalen Hurts has the ball for longer than two seconds, a big play is going to happen. That dynamic, that element, that ingredient is missing. When we had Dane Brugler on a few weeks ago, Dane said a quote that I'm sure I'll say a lot between now and, and the draft in late April. The quarterback position is no longer a passer. It has to be a creator.
3: That's a good way to put it. Hurts yeah. is a creator.
4: Yeah. Taylor Heineke was a creator in the fourth quarter three weeks ago inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt Ryan needs everything to be perfect around him. And as soon as that pocket starts to break down, which it did a lot yesterday, that passing offense is just nothing. I mean, they can't do anything down the field. Unless the protection is absolutely perfect. And you're just not built up front right now. You you obviously want to be built up front. But Bernard Ryman and Will Fries had terrible days. Terrible Boy, days. Boy, Ryman
3: had I mean, a couple of penalties there.
4: Oh, and costly. they got, really got run over on each of the last two drives. Matt Ryan was sacked on each of the last two drives with Ryman uh, in protection on both of those. As far as the Colts' defense, Jake, it was easily, easily the best game in a Colts' uniform for Yannick Ngakwe. The strip sack to start the third quarter, I mean, that was blindside, Freeney Mathis-esque right. with Philly trying to take a shot on that play. I thought he made a couple of nice plays in the run game, which is definitely... A weakness of his and you know Grover Stewart's going to make plays for you yeah right? I mean Grover and Buckner did their thing um yeah <laughs> there's an element to finishing that game that the defense is going to absolutely look at themselves and probably did last night and think man those chances on the final drive The Franklin pass interference penalty, the 4th and 2 run by Hertz, the 3rd and 7 like we just talked about, but still, if you tell Jeff Saturday yesterday morning, you're going to hold the Eagles to 17 points, Jeff Saturday would be like, where do I sign? Great work by Gus Bradley, and they've done the heavy lifting, and entering Sunday, the question we asked late last week was, could you do it against a legit offense? It was honestly, we had questions about both units, Offensively for the Colts, the question was, was the Raiders the ideal opponent, or is this the new Colts offense? Well, the answer yesterday was, the Raiders are the ideal opponent. On the flip side of that, the question exiting Las Vegas was, is this Colts defense legit, or have they just played a bunch of middling to bad offenses, outside of Kansas City, really? Well, they played one of, if not the best offenses in the NFL yesterday, and Gus Bradley's unit was outstanding. And it's a shame, because to your earlier point, Jake, that you echoed a, a message from one of our listeners, yeah, it, it's a it's an offense. It's a defense playing January-caliber defense, and it's an offense waiting for the offseason vacation to the Caribbean to be here.
3: Did we see unusually... At one point, and I didn't watch every snap like this particular player, but it seemed to me like we heard Brandon Faison's name more yesterday. Like, maybe he was at times showing himself to also have an Ngakwe kind of coming out party. But then again, I thought, at that position, he might have also been victimized like five different yeah, times. I, I didn't notice it. I,
4: I thought he had a couple of moments that would qualify as probably one of his better stretches of the of the season, which, again, the bar has not been set very high by him. I think he got beat a couple times, but nothing too crazy. He had great coverage on Devontae Smith um, down the sideline. I thought the A.J. Brown-Stefan Gilmore matchup was tremendous to watch um but at this point of the season Jake again for those that are in the playoff crowd for those that look at the wild card standings like you were pointing out earlier and still see light at the end of the tunnel you can't celebrate a moral victory on November 21st not not at 4-5 and 1 before you were yesterday now tell that to Tom Allen you just, well you just weren't in a position to and you aren't In a position to sit here on a Monday and be like, "Man, a lot of great strides." You know, if they just put it together, they can make the playoffs. You have no margin for error. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's with the record that you have four, six, and one. We said it last week. You got to go five and two down the stretch. Now you got to go five and one. You know, one thing that's fascinating
3: I've never noticed until now until I pulled up the box score here that the Eagles logo not the not the ones that they had on their helmet of the eagle, but you know the other logo they have that's like their alternative logo, uh, their alternate logo, I should say that has the eagle head. It's tilted at such an angle. They need to straighten it out. If you look at the, if you really look at this, Kevin, and I know it's radio, people can't see it, but you know they can look at home and play along. It, it, it's tilted in such a way, and his beak is open that he looks terrified. Is he? Is he screaming? Like it looks like what what someone would look like in a caricature if they were, they were like on a plane that was going down. Well, Does if
4: he's it? screaming, that could be Nick Sirianni yeah. at the end of the game.
3: That's what he look. He looks literally. Like, he looks like what an Eagles fan would look like for the first three quarters of the game yesterday. That's not a ferocious-looking Eagle. That's an Eagle that's like, what the hell is going on? I'm completely descending here, which is what it looked like yesterday. At one point, I thought to myself— are we seeing the unravel of the Eagles here? They finally lost a game, and now they're going to be Arizona of a year ago, right? Um, but then I think you also have to look at it and say, no. I mean, the reason that they're 9-1 is because they found a way to win that game.
4: And, and I think that point, Jake, you've covered so much of the NFL, and you obviously remember those Peyton teams. It's not like it was smooth sailing and perfect football for all 60 minutes. Correct. But in the fourth quarter... When Good it teams most. find ways right. to get it done. Right. And honestly, in a weird way, that was Washington a few weeks back. I think over the course of a season, you find ways in those moments to make the plays. And Philadelphia certainly did that. Uh, Pacers magic tonight. That is over at Gainbridge Fieldhouse at 7 o'clock. Don't look now, Jake, but the Indiana Pacers, four straight wins. I find it interesting that all four of those wins, they've come back from down double digits. I know after the first quarter it's not like they get down you know 12 to 2 these are after the first quarter uh, they beat Houston on Friday they beat the Magic on Saturday That's the sound of kevin's now ears. Mark, lightning <laughs> was that a little premature well not the way you're thinking now if they win tonight i'm a third of the way there folks see see i did think this about the pacer season entering it it's the weird balance of, obviously, there's a section of the fan base out there that wants to see them get as high a draft pick as possible. I also think it's really important for a bunch of young guys that are either new to the NBA or new to trying to win at the NBA level. It's important to like close out games. And they've done that this season. Last year, they were horrific in closing out games. They've done that in different ways. I mean, Saturday night, it was Aaron D. Smith and Offensive Rebound. Um... He was huge. Five threes in that game. So now nine and six on the year, three home games this week. Magic, Timberwolves, and Nets before they head out west for seven.
3: The I'm telling you, Aaron Niesmith. I like Aaron Niesmith and I like Andrew Nimhard in terms of young pieces that are they ever gonna be like long term starters here? No, but your your fifth, you know, your sixth, seventh guy, I like him. Now, you brought up Tom Allen earlier. Did he run back to Bloomington? Okay. Can I say this before we get to break? Because I don't know that IU football is, like, worthy of us going on the long tangents about. I'd like for people to – you can send me a tweet, which is at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, or you can text me at 317 9288 I like to sometimes get like a barometer of am I out of my mind. 9288
4: is the number to text me. Please. Please don't hold back, folks, with the am I out of my mind <laughs> comment.
3: I know it was a huge win for Indiana and and a and a very impressive display of not throwing in the towel when probably everyone had written them off when they were down twenty four seven at the half and thirty one fourteen I think at one point and then they come back and win in. Double overtime. Very impressive, unquestionably. But if I was the fan of another school or any anybody else watching passing by on television, I would think that Tom Allen acts like a complete lunatic on the sidelines. And I I know that like energy and rah rah is part of his thing and he's a motivator and what and I get that. And I know he's a, a wonderfully nice human being. But at some point when you are the head football coach of a Division One football program in a Power 5 conference, you should act like you are a football coach in a Division One Power 5 conference that expects to be competitive, not by jumping around and celebrating every fourth down stop as if you are, in fact, Moorhead State that's holding off Alabama. And... In addition to that, when the game is over
4: haven't they been more more head state though I, I, in the tenure? Well that's Tom the Alabama problem though,
3: but like you're trying to tell people you're not. And when the game is over, your responsibility from a sportsmanlike standpoint is to go across the field and shake hands with the opposing coach, not run around maniacally jumping on people and losing your shoe and falling off your glasses and scratching your face and then, oh, by the way, I've got to go shake hands with a coach. I, I think it upstages the opponent to an extent. But I think more than that, it more amplifies, especially when you've won two Big Ten games in two seasons, the fact that you don't expect to win. You're shocked and you're stunned that you are playing competitively and it is counterproductive towards your program because it looks to everyone on the outside, and I know it only matters what people on the inside think, whatever, but it looks to the outside like you are a guy that cannot believe that you're in that situation. And eventually, that kind of a nervous energy, I think, has to translate down to players where they just feel it on every single play.
4: Slightly different. Sideline behavior from Mike Woodson. They get a win at Xavier good. on Friday night. That will look very good on the tournament resume come March. They beat Miami of Ohio. I kind of forgot that game was going on at GameBridge Fieldhouse yesterday. Kind of sloppy first 15 minutes, and then Indiana pulled away and dominated that one. Uh, we've got a World Cup match today between the United States and do you know their opponent, Jake?
3: Uh, England? Very close. So not Iran, because I know that's in their group as well, right?
4: Yep. You got Mm -hmm. three of the four teams in the group. The fourth team, first time in the World Cup since, I believe, the 50s.
3: Uh, Algeria.
4: No. They beat Algeria a few years ago. No,
3: this is actually a European. Denmark? Belgium. feel like you're close. Finland. Sweden. Switzerland. They're always in the neutral zone, by the way.
4: Is there a neutral zone in soccer? I
3: don't know, but if there Do you is, you want to keep guessing? If there is, this, is, that's where is this Switzerland's awful found. Radio. This is this is uh, a European country. Correct. Is yes. it a, if I told you I was going there on vacation, would you go? That's cool, or would you go? Well, that's weird. Probably the latter. Croatia. Beautiful Croatia. Wales. I did, I knew that. I absolutely knew that. Two o'clock on the you pitch. You only needed to the give them State. 30 more
4: guesses. I was going to say, gone, how man. many more European countries did I, you, you know have what? to go? I, I, absolutely I thought with you Wales. being over there last month, you would have I know. I, I, known that. I mean, literally like two
3: days ago, I saw that they're playing Wales, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Lady Di... I mean, yeah, I, I knew that.
4: Rick DeMolin going to join us at 9 o'clock. We'll take your calls. 317-239-1070. What could have been yesterday for the Colts for 50-some minutes, 55 minutes probably. It looked like a season-altering win. Not to be though. 60 minutes of football. The Eagles made the plays late. 17-16. The Colts fall to four, six, and one on the season. We'll break it all down on this Monday morning. Looks like a ni- it's chilly. But looks like a nice start here to Thanksgiving week in Indy. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykten, 935, 1075, the fans.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kisquali Ribocyclob 200 mg at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kisquali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kisquali Ribocyclob 200 mg at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kisquali is right for you.
4: Colts lose 17 16 to Nick Sirianni and the Eagles for those that missed it it was a fired up Sirianni to say the least at the end of that game Uh, I got home went back and watched the second half Jake and I thought Nick Sirianni him celebrating after the game like he was high-fiving some of the Colts coaches like they were his own coaches like He goes up to David Thornton. I thought he was going to run David Thornton over. He's high-fiving Reggie Wayne aggressively. I'm like, geez, man, there's a uh, there's an element there that that is actually your opponent and not guys that you used to coach with. Uh, but Sirian is pretty fired up post-game, wasn't he?
0: Uh, or Nick or Sirianni, I should say pretty,
3: pretty emotional. Yeah, first off, if you saw the video, it, as the game was concluding, Nick Sirianni, who, by the way, began his college coaching career uh, – at Mount Union before going on and becoming a coach at Indiana. That's Indiana, of Pennsylvania, by the way. Um, But notably, where we around here became familiar with Nick Seriani was when he came on under Frank Reich as the offensive coordinator in 2018 and worked obviously very closely with Frank Reich and I think has the absolute, as you're about to hear, very high and and, uh, highest level of respect and reverence for Frank Reich. But at one point, I thought Sirianni turned around and I thought he was yelling at Colts fans.
4: Yeah, it, it did look like that.
3: Uh-huh. But just to his left of the Colts fans, there was a group of Eagles fans, and I think he was, you know, celebrating to that. You know what I mean? Like
4: I thought yeah, that's he went back we do the you know, second that kind of time. Thing. CBS showed him twice interacting with the front row and interacting is probably the PR word to use. Um, I thought the second time he was a little chirpier with Colts fans. Yeah, I mean. um You know, clearly like an
3: excitable type guy.
4: Were you around him much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is. that is him. I mean, I think I said it last week, Jake. He will be chirping with Colts players during the game. Like him and Frank Wright could not have more different personalities. Um, And I think that's a big reason why Frank wanted to hire him. Frank knew that he is more of a subdued individual. And Nick brings that fire. And I think it's brought that to Philly. And what I saw was a pissed off human at Jim Irsay for the handling of Frank Reich.
3: Okay, and if you listen to this in its totality, that's what it sounds like as well as what it looked like. Here we go.
1: I'm emotional because I love Frank Reich. I really do, and he's a, he's one of the best damn football coaches I've ever been around, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was hoping that that him and I would be able to coach against each other uh in this game but he he is one of, he he's my one of my biggest mentors I got my dad I got Larry Karras and, and I got Frank Reich and Frank's such a good football coach and uh yeah you don't want to know what I think uh of if he should be here or not but uh because you guys can probably imagine what I really think um and uh I love them. And uh, so I got a little bit emotional about that. And it was good to see the guys that I really cared about and some of the, the, the things that, you know, Quentin Nelson and, and Ryan Kelly and Paris Campbell, I got to talk to them after the game and Kenny Moore. Um, so, th- you know, that, that means a lot when they say some some things that are, obviously I keep those things to myself, but I spent a lot of time here. My kids, one of my child, children was born here and it's, uh, it was sweet to come here, especially with what happened in this organization the last couple of weeks and, and, and get the win, the win. We leave in Indianapolis with a win.
3: That last part, especially with everything that happened in this franchise the last couple of weeks, I would assume that Nick Sirianni has a relationship with Jeff Saturday. I, you know, I mean, Saturday, obviously, being a consultant to the franchise, one would assume during the time Sirianni was here. I'm not saying that he dislikes Jeff Saturday, but. Maybe that was less about Saturday and the process that the Colts have caught heat for about the hiring and the interim level of Jeff Saturday, which was outside the box. We've gone over what we think about that and more just about the Frank Reich situation. But I just thought that last part was a little bit of a twist.
4: Yeah, I think it's strictly a middle finger to Jim Irsay. I think that's exactly what that was from Sirianni. Um, I actually asked him last Wednesday if he knew Jeff Saturday, and I, I thought he did, and he said he didn't, so I don't think that is any reflection of Nick Sirianni and Jeff Saturday. I think it's purely and I think his comment Jake that he mentions about the players and some of their postgame comments with Nick Sirianni I could very well see the players being like yeah I mean you know Matt was benched because the owner wanted him benched and if we would have played Matt or continue to play Matt Frank probably is still here. Um, I'm reading a little bit into it but that's what I infer from that so I I think that is Sirianni's post-game emotion I think is purely his staunch relationship with Frank Reich his defense of Frank Reich and it's a middle finger to Jim Mercer
3: here here's where I would be PO'd and by what he's saying there in terms of like what's happened with this franchise you know I think there's the possibility there that also Kevin That what he is, the initial reaction is he's saying that like he's unhappy that Frank Reich was, you know, that his unhappiness with what happened within this franchise, that he is speaking strictly on the timeline of from the time Frank Reich was dismissed and the fact that he was dismissed. That reads to me like the possibility that what he is saying is, look, Frank Reich lost his job partially because he was forced to put a quarterback in there that wasn't ready to go, and it completely derailed their season. And then he got fired. And that upsets me because he was given a raw deal and he was put in a situation where he was forced to fail. And if that's what Nick is saying, that leads me to believe he's probably hearing that from somebody. And who would that be?
4: Well, I think probably from some players. Or Frank Reich.
3: Sure. Or Frank Reich, who said, sure. look, man, yeah. wh- what do they want me to do? Like, all of a sudden, the owner comes down one day. The owner who tells me that he's not going to meddle comes down to my office and says, you're starting the guy that in late August sports talk shows in this town were having a discussion as to whether or not the Colts were going to have to find a way to keep him on the roster just to protect him from the practice squad. And all of a sudden, the owner wants him as the starter. And we go into two games where – we are not putting out our best chance to win. And they lose those games, and then Frank Wright gets
4: fired. I don't think Sirianni was referencing this, but hearing those comments, Jake, and watching that game unfold yesterday, at some point, when does all of the offensive blame not fall on Chris Ballard for this season? 100%. You know, everyone has just said, oh, it's Frank's play calling oh, it's Frank's play calling. I mean, he's way too aggressive. He gets too cute, this and that. At some point, you have to look at this offensive personnel and think, you handed Matt Pryor a left tackle job. You handed Danny Pinter a right guard job. Now you're on the third left tackle, the third right guard. So yesterday was another reminder of the massive deficiencies you have in those two spots. You didn't make a single free agent acquisition at tight end or wide receiver, and yet you thought that, I guess the Matt Ryan arrival would cure all and that your offense would be at an acceptable level. If your offense was just middling, like if you just had a middle-of-the-pack offense, we'd be talking about the Colts as a January-type football team. It would not be, you need 732 things to go their way over the final six weeks. Um, Yesterday, and I think we'll continue to see this as the rest of the year plays out, the shift will go from Frank Reich's play calling was the offensive issue to the offensive personnel is a massive deficiency for the Colts.
3: Okay, Kevin, here's the thing. And by the way, so now we're talking about a middling offense and a meddling owner. It's very confusing.
4: Well, it's not even a meddling offense. Um, It's an awful offense. Since,
3: let's say, when the season began, when it felt like When you had talked about wideouts, and we know that you had talked plenty about wideouts, like you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't swing a dead cat, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about wideouts, right? Chris Ballard knew that you couldn't hear about anything anywhere other than hearing about wideouts. But, (laughs) Mark's looking for that. Here's the thing. Since that time, the Colts have replaced the quarterback. Same results. Reinstituted the quarterback that was removed, same results. They've tried three different left tackles, same results. They've tried like three different right guards, same results. They've changed offensive coordinators, same results. They've changed head coach, same results. At some point, do you then start to figure out that? you've changed the shingles on the roof, you've changed the sealant around the windows, and you've changed the locks on the front door, and yet cold air is still getting in, maybe you should go back and ask the guy that built your house what exactly is wrong, right? At some point. Except for that the guy that built your house every day when he left work walking through the front yard to get back in his car, told everybody else on the block he knows more about building houses than they do, so don't you dare ask me about it.
0: Y'all have been kicking the out of me for years for not drafting wideouts, and all of a sudden I look up and, you know, we're underperforming on the offensive line right now.
4: Yeah, to me it's so much of it as personnel. If not, all of it. Um, and I think you continue to watch this offense unfold, and it's zero vertical passing game whatsoever. And once Philly got a stranglehold of that run defense yesterday after the opening drive, your offense could not sustain whatsoever. And at some point, you've got to look at the personnel and the lack of acquisitions you made to support your aging quarterback. Because when you don't support him, Matt Ryan's age gets exposed even more. Yep. And I thought we saw that yesterday. And by the way,
3: I know that Matt Ryan, there was contact to his face mask. Somebody asked me on that last sack that Would have given the Colts, I agree, but I didn't think it would. I didn't think it was egregious enough to be a face mask penalty. I thought it was inadvertent contact with the face mask, and immediately the hand was pulled away.
4: We'll take your calls coming up at eight o'clock hour 317 239 1070. Thoughts on yesterday again the Colts fall to four six and one on the year. Defense outstanding, um, looked like a potentially season altering win. Instead, the Colts fall. Um, and blow another two-score lead at home. Rick DeMolin going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari on a Monday.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: And then eventually stood back up. Uh, Rick Venturi was still on the floor for like five minutes after that. I think. Boy, right. that is
4: <laughs> – yeah, obviously, this is not the call Colts fans wanted to hear, but it is such a great call in painting the picture of what happened
0: on that play. Totally. because Shotgun snap for Hurts. He's going to oh, take no. off. He's at the five, and he dances oh, into the end no. zone. He threw Oh, you know they're going to do that. He ran it right up the gut. I mean,
4: this, the field just absolutely opened right. up. I mean, you have the same view I do, Jake. I mean, it, yeah. was that not the thought that you had? totally my my first thought and i know i've said this several times today i thought they had 10 guys in the field i thought the colts were missing a linebacker
3: uh joining us now on the payless liquors hotline a return guest to the program who can tell us a little bit about what went on yesterday and i I guess for rick Demoling, who played with the colts from 01 to 04 then back again in 07 during his nfl career rick the first thing i would ask you is as a player you know from a fan standpoint or a media standpoint yesterday in watching that game it, it felt at different periods like the Colts were up 17 21 points it just they felt in control but you also felt like Philadelphia especially towards the end you could kind of feel things swing a little bit as a player do you feel that on the field in a game where you can kind of feel the pendulum of momentum going back and forth or is that simply fan observation
5: no, absolutely. It is. You feel it. Now you have so much going on in your brain that you're just getting ready for the next play, so you don't dwell on it. But, like, when you're on the sideline, if you're watching the defense, you kind of get that feeling of the defense is watching the offense. But, yeah, you're so just zeroed in and focused on what your next job is that you don't think about it too much until you're probably on the sideline.
4: Kind of on that fun. And, by the way, thank you for the time this morning. Again, Rick DeMoline is with us, drafted by the Colts in 01 what about like the games kind of waning moments? I think we, we put so much stock into like what happens in the fourth quarter, what happens in the final few minutes of a game as a player. Did you feel like heightened intensity in the fourth quarter in trying to close out a game? Because now for two home games in a row, we've seen a team in, in the Colts build a two score lead in the fourth quarter, but not, unable to close it out and finish.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You feel that. I mean, especially with as an offensive lineman, you're you got the lead in the fourth quarter, we're going to run the ball out. That's your mindset. And when you do not accomplish that, it starts getting more intense. However, like, I loved Howard Mudd, rest his soul. He was phenomenal. Like, hey, listen, slow the game down. Don't do more than what you have been doing all game. And that's kind of like our human nature. We're like, it's coming down to the thing. You start getting amped up, start getting amped up, but just slow it down. Do what you know what to do and don't do too much.
3: Rick, we... You know, we talked actually with Jeff Saturday about this before, obviously, he became the interim coach. But I wanted your perspective on it as well because, you know, you're also an offensive lineman. And this line for the Colts this year, to me, has just flat out been enigmatic because, for the most part, it's the same personnel that we've seen at times play really well then at other times look like, you know, a turnstile. Is, from your perspective, is playing offensive line psychological is it just from one play to the next can it be a confidence thing what is the issue with the line of the Indianapolis Colts in 2022
5: yeah, absolutely. I think there definitely plays a confidence thing. If you like are unsure one of like your technique and then two what play you're running, and especially those rookies, right? They're having it's just hard to play in the NFL to begin with, to begin with, and then be in there as young guys. Like it, it is very difficult to catch up to the speed of the game. And so if you're not like dialed in and just like you're your technique is second nature and then you're just, you already know the play, it becomes a whirlwind, right? Yeah. I would agree. It looks like there's turnstile. sometimes. It's just like some of it's technique. Some of it is just feeling unsure of what's going on, but it, it definitely looks like the offensive line is not 100% sure what they're doing. Now that's not across the board. Obviously there there's some shining spots there, but it is hard to watch sometimes when you have such a phenomenal, offensive line not play as well and I'm not you know you can't single out just the rookies that are not playing well I mean it's across the board but it's hard to watch and if you're not confident in what you're doing you can't go 100 100 miles an hour and just react.
4: Yeah, I would say, like you said, Rick, across the board, all five of those individuals, obviously not the same guys necessarily, but have taken a step back from even what you had last year. Again, Rick DeMoline is with us, former teammate of Jeff Saturday. Let's go back, I guess, two weeks ago today, Rick, and apologies if you're coming on the show thinking that this means you'll get an NFL head coaching job tomorrow. (laughs) Um, But your initial reaction to hearing that news, and I guess did you learn like the rest of us, Learned,
5: yeah. So we had a little text chain going. Some former players and uh, heard that Frank was uh, they parted ways, and that was you know sad to see because we all have a, so much respect for Frank and what he brought to the table, and um, that was sad to see. And it was you know discussing, hey, who are they gonna who are they gonna elevate, right? Then all of a sudden we get to, <laughs> we all find out Jeff just got the job, and it was it was pure excitement, really, is what it was, and then bewilderment. So everybody's like, hey, get him on the line. Let's find out this is real. And obviously, he was pretty uh, busy at the time, so we didn't really find out until everybody else found out, like, for sure. But, it, I mean, it's awesome. There's, you know, somebody asked me what is what speaks volumes to, about Jeff to me. I'm like, the one way that I could put it is, like, I, if my son grew up to be like Jeff Saturday, then I know I did a good job. He's that great of a man. Like, he is just the type of guy that you want leading other men. And I, I'm excited, fired up for it.
3: Rick, when you were a player – If you were able to to go back in time here, if I said to you when you were sitting at one point, let's say at a training camp, and I said, one of the guys, I'm looking into a crystal ball here, and in just under 20 years, one of these guys that you're playing with is going to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. How far down the line would you have been in your guesses before you got to Jeff Saturday?
5: Maybe he's like 1A, right? Um, obviously, you think Peyton is going to be one of the guys just because he's so competitive and just loves the game. But like, as far as a like knowledge of the game, fire in the belly to make people better, like Jeff is up there, right? He he doesn't lack in that. He doesn't lack in confidence. It doesn't mean that he is he he knows what he's doing. And he's when I say confidence, confidence in himself, and that's through his faith in Christ. And so, like, he, he's up there in the top one or two that I would have thought that could and would lead a team.
3: I'm going to ask you, Rick DeMoling, a really dumb question that I've asked Lyman before, but I'm also used to asking dumb questions. Um, but I think, that f- I think people listening will be interested in this because I think it's one of those things that we all act like we know the answer to, but no one, unless you're in it, really probably totally does. And that is this. Tell me the fundamental difference between playing guard and – And tackle Because I think those of us that have not played football at a high level think if you're an offensive lineman, you're an offensive lineman. You ought to be able to just move (laughs) around. But clearly, the Colts have learned that you can't necessarily juxtapose those two positions. What is the primary difference between the skill set necessary to be a guard and why that doesn't translate automatically to being a tackle?
5: Easy. Space. So when you are as a guard or play the interior you're fighting inside of a phone booth right it's close quarters quick and when you move out to that tackle you're giving the defensive end who is a phenomenal athlete a lot more space right a lot more room to work and so it is a completely different skill set and a completely different mindset, really. I mean, you're you got to think about, especially when you're on pass pro, you're on an island, and I was always, always said, hey, you're by yourself. You might have some help sliding to you sometimes, but typically you, you're one on one, vast majority of the time.
3: So is it safe to say that a tackle, if need be, can move over and probably play lie or play guard? Excuse me, but a guard cannot necessarily slide over and play tackle.
5: Um, it takes it takes a very skilled guard to be able to go out and play tackle. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that's very difficult. It's probably a lot easier for a, a tackle to go to guard than a guard to go to tackle, for sure.
4: Again, Rick DeMolina is with us, former teammate of Jeff Saturday. I want to go back to Jeff here, Rick, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Do you look at this as, you know, an interim eight game thing, or do you look at this as Jeff Saturday really believes and thinks that this could be what he does full time moving forward?
5: I believe he, just like you said in his press conference, right, this is something that he is he's going to give 100%. And he's not doing this just to like, hey, you know, they give me an opportunity to be here for eight games. He, I think this is a trial run. Like, hey, this is, one, something I want to do. And, two, am I good at it? Like, he, he's innately good at leading men and making people better. Now, if it's something that he wants to do, does he want to? I mean, that's a big disruption, right? He had sure. a pretty good gig in ESPN. And this is completely different. So for him to even uproot his entire life and lifestyle and family for eight weeks says a lot to me. It's like, Hey, listen, I want to give this a real shot. And in the next six weeks that are left, like, I think he is going to you know, at the end of the season, do some soul searching and find out like, if this is really what he wants to do. And if he does, I think he will have a a legitimate shot to stay here um, after the, you know, the full interview process and everything. And, um, but I, I, I believe in him 100%. Even if they don't win the rest, like, any more games the rest of the season, like, you can tell the difference, right? They just went toe-to-toe with arguably the best team in the league and very well could have and should have won. Do you so, s- I mean, go ahead.
4: No, no, no. So, sorry to interrupt.
5: That's No, I was going to say, like, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, what do you think the score would have been? Uh, do you think the Colts would have fought? that hard and been that close in that game i mean i don't know i'm not saying that they wouldn't have but i mean it looked like a different team out there there were some self-inflicted wounds for sure but i see progress and i and i like it
4: yeah they've led in seven of the eight quarters under jeff saturday um do you see him more as a guy that is curious about being a head coach or a guy that would be curious about working in the front office
5: Good question. You know that I'm not even I'm not 100 sure on. I haven't had a, a full on discussion with him about it, and I, I would assume that he's probably keeping that close to the chest. But I think he is right now giving everything he has into being the best coach that he can be for the you know those Colts, and after the season, he'll probably figure that out.
3: Rick Demoling, when you are at the Bullseye Event Group Center before the game, enjoying the tailgate, and you think to yourself, you know what, if this game goes as such that I've got to pull my hair out over stress, I'm not worried about it because I've got We Grow Hair Indie. Uh, and kudos to me for getting both those worked in right there. But That was awesome, yeah, thank by you. the way. I was just um, going to say that. So when you are but, – but before a game – and, and and next week, I mean, for the Colts' next outing, right? When you look at it, the thing that concerns you going into games now is they get set for Pittsburgh. What is the thing about this particular group that is, in fact, keeping you up of thinking about and worrying about what they need to clean up?
5: It's obviously the offensive line, unfortunately. like The defense is – I mean, there's always improvement across the board. There's never a perfect game. But that defense is solid. I mean, look at what they did to—they they held one of the best offenses to what they did yesterday. And then it's the offensive line: can we run the ball? Can they be consistent on a game-to-game, series-to-series basis? You know, what are you—what are you going to get? Um, and I don't know if they figured that out yet. Who had the best? I know there was a couple of illnesses and injuries, but. Uh, they haven't seemed to have found the combination that is rock solid and you know what they're going to get. Like, if somebody's not perfect, that's great. But at least I want to be consistent, right? At least you know what you're going to get from, you know, <laughs> a snap to snap. It just seems like they're not really on the same page all the time.
3: But does it almost feel, Rick, and I, look, I get it. I mean, linemen don't exactly grow on trees, right? You can't just go into Dollar General and buy a lineman, but it seems like an area the Colts have neglected and it seems like an area that they just magically assumed was going to repair itself and we've now seen enough body of work to say no the the way it was built is not working am i being too critical
5: uh i think a little bit cuz obviously there's that yeah, like you said there's not a lot of plug and play players like a quentin Nelson right those and you know and ryan kelly those are not guys that just grow on trees um, but, yeah, I do believe they potentially had, you know, like Smith, Kelly, and Quinton. They're like, all right, we have 60% of the puzzle. I think the 40% can be just put in there. I think they had a lot of high hopes for prior and that obviously didn't really pan out the way that they had hoped. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely, I wouldn't say neglected it because they obviously have three amazing pieces in the puzzle there, but I think they needed, like, definitely get some solid left tackle play and they just haven't yet. And you know, obviously it's hard to ask the left tackle rookie uh, Raymond to sit there and really step in and, and blow it up. That's a that's a big transition that he has. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know it needs to be cleaned up and um, hopefully those guys gain a little bit more confidence because they are good. They just need to like get rid of the pride of self-doubt and let it rip.
3: Is Quentin Nelson still – to me something has happened – I'm not saying he's not a good player, Rick. That would be naive Mm -hmm. of me. But he was an elite-level breakthrough talent a year ago that seems to have slid back to showing signs of normalcy.
5: What's the difference, if any? I would agree with that. I mean, he's still, like, the upper echelon. He's not, like, what he was playing at before. I mean that I don't know. I don't know if it could be a nagging injury. That's the thing that's always kind of goofy with the guys that have a backslide like that. Because normally you do it in your second year, and he didn't. Obviously, he just got gotten better, better, and better. So I mean, there could be something going on in personal life. There could be a, a nagging injury that just hasn't gone away, and maybe something in confidence has gone. But I mean, he still has all the skill set, and when he's, I guarantee you, if he's confident and healthy, he's going to play as good as he has
4: and Rick Demoling drafted by the Colts in 2001, played seven years in the league. Rick, always enjoy having you on. Um, I'm sure it's kind of been crazy watching Jeff uh, be the head coach of the Colts over the last couple of weeks. So I appreciate your insight with us and uh, have a great Thanksgiving.
5: You have a blessed one as well. Thank you.